0: The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is proudly made possible by Red Energy. They're powered by Snowy Hydro and a leader in renewable energy. Call their Melbourne based team today on 131 806 for real Aussie energy. I don't know how to express how I feel today on day three of this snap lockdown. It's a bit like the sword of Damocles is hanging over us all, really, Caro, isn't it?
1: It's not too late to go and order a beautiful take-home meal from your local restaurant. Get out of bed and go for a walk. I agree you need to make a COVID call. What's the point of Valentine's Day? Oh, well, young romantics will think we're a pair of old cynics, Corrie.
0: And honestly, Caro, it was just one of the most extraordinary flip-flops I've ever witnessed in politics. Such a blatant attempt to try and have it both ways. If you sit
1: on the fence, Cory, you get splinters.
0: <laughs> well, Mitch McConnell's bottom must have quite a few of them, Caro. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin.
1: Yes, welcome everybody to episode 160 of Don't Shoot the Messenger, a special lockdown edition. Corrie Perkin, welcome.
0: Oh, Caro,
1: here we are again
0: uh, speaking to
1: one another via our machines. Isn't it boring? Well, it is. It's very disappointing, but there's plenty to say and plenty to talk about. We have some cracker books to discuss. We have a great screen. Sadly, not at, the, not at the cinema. And guess what? Lots of recipes. So, um, and I'll be giving you one of those in a moment, one of my daughter Clementine specials. We want to thank Red Energy, 100% Australian Energy and Gas, and also Prince Wine Store for making our podcast possible. Corrie, we have a lot of housekeeping to get out of the way. I guess the first thing we should mention, um, which seems like a 1,000 years ago now, but... Eddie Maguire's resignation.
0: Caro, look, I have to um, commend you on the interview that you did with Jane at the moment it happened. I know a lot of our podcast gang joined on to that bonus episode last week, and it was so interesting to hear your views on what had happened. And it's all gone very quiet, or it seems to me as an observer, it's all gone very quiet at the Collingwood Football Club, Who's actually stepped into the president's chair?
1: Well, two people have stepped into the chair. Peter Murphy, who is the internal favourite uh, to actually um, take over as chairman. He's the... um, entrepreneur, businessman who did the review into the club a few years ago and who tried to convince Ed to um, put an end date to his tenure unsuccessfully, although that's happened now, and Mark Corder. So Mark Corder has been Vice President for a long time. He also aspires to the presidency, but I I'm not sure his long-time connection with Ed might be a problem. They're looking at constitutional change. They're putting a lot of changes in place. It was interesting that Barry Cassidy, and we talked about... I talked about this with Jane last week, who was very critical of Ed's handling of the Do Better report into what was found to be systemic racism at the club... Um, did not actually back away from saying he might have a crack at the board if, in fact, um, that was possible. So who knows where that's going to go. Look, I think the interesting thing now is when we're going to hear from Nathan Buckley and his future. So a lot to happen, but that seems a long time ago because everything changed on Friday when we found out that um, we were heading into a snap lockdown and that was something that's the shortest notice I think we've been given as Victorians. And we're used to this by now, let's face it. And we're all praying it's all over in a few days. And I'm sure everyone listening is too. Corrie, we, before we get into uh, the ramifications, we should mention, well, a bit of feedback. Our friend Jenny Smith via Facebook. Hello, girls. I'm in hospital with a gash on my knee. And Corrie's recommendation... I listen to table manners. Boring, says Jenny, and not nearly as much fun as you and I, Corrie. So that's nice, isn't it?
0: Oh, I feel very honoured, Caro. That's amazing. I just wanted to say on the Eddie Maguire, we had lots of emails relating to your um, to your chat with him so I just wanted to thank everybody for those as well um Jenny I hope you're appearing well in hospital I'm sorry you didn't like table manners thanks for the bouquet Carol that is really lovely to be compared with with that podcast there's a lovely message too from Jane Luganis who is one of our um, regular contributors to the program And she said, hi, Corrie and Caro. It's great to have you back for 2021. I really enjoyed your analysis regarding Eddie Maguire's resignation, Caro. My main reason for contacting you is to disagree disagree with fellow potty, Alison. As a 58-year-old Jane, I have been called Miss Jane by a very good friend and past employer for many years. I'm not sure how it came about, but I've always thought of it as a term of endearment and quite enjoy the name. I'm guessing your Miss Jane does too. Keep up the good work, ladies. Thank you, Jane, for your email there on topic.
1: <laughs> Miss Jane lives on. Now, a couple of vague apologies. Beck Bernard, our friend, the most one of our great musicians and one of the most beautiful singers in this country, got in touch to remind us that the Kelvin Club, where he had a small soiree last week, is in fact not a men's club. Did I? Maybe I did say I thought it was a men's club. In fact, there were many female members and the president is a woman. So thanks, Bec. Um, a fabulous place. And when we're all allowed out again, I highly recommend it. It's a wonderful, wonderful venue um, hidden behind Russell Street in the city of Melbourne. And Corrie, do you need to apologise to Janet Kane, who tried oh, she, to get onto oh, your she, newsletter yeah, yeah. and had to pass the Crosswalk Challenge?
0: I know. I cannot believe this, Caro. I mean, how hilarious is that? So there I was last week saying how these I am not a robot prompts drive me crackers. And then Janet Kane has sent an email saying that she wanted to join uh, my mybookshop.com.au newsletter. So... Obviously, there's a pop up on our. As soon as you log into our bookshop's website, the pop up comes up saying, "Would you like to be a friend? Would you like to join the newsletter?" Janet Kane has gone. Yes, yes. All of a sudden, she's confronted with the "I am not a robot" situation, and all of a sudden, tick where the crosswalks are. Can you believe it? I look honestly because I am a friend of the bookshop. I've never done this before. Oh, I laughed. Hilarious, Janet, when I read your email. Hilarious. So thank you and apologies um, to everyone there. And also just on the um, – the uh, I mentioned last week I was having contact lens issues, wearing different colored contact lenses in both eyes, and uh, received, we received an email, dear, don't shoot the messenger team. I had a great laugh about the contact lens dilemma, Cory. Your daughter Checker also has such a dilemma. When we both worked together at the Weekly Review, Checker and I, our small editorial team pulled our money once a week to buy a chicken and salad stuff from Woolies around the corner. This particular day was Checker's turn to buy and make our chicken salad lunch absolutely delicious. Mid-afternoon, Checker was struggling with finishing a story for the magazine. A grumpy editor loud, yelled out loudly and said, "Checker, how long before you file? Soon, boss, soon. I'm working with one eye. I've lost a contact lens. And the editor said, how long ago, Checker? Oh, I think around lunchtime. To this day, says our correspondent, Eileen Berry, to this <laughs> day I have been telling all and sundry that Checker fed me her contact lens for lunch. Well... I've heard of funnier things happening than that, where contact lenses turn up, Carol and Miss Jade. But that's just the fact that Chechenille killed her boss is probably oh. one of our one of our family stories. That Eileen very kindly reminded us
1: of. Runs in the family. I had a friend who used to work at a kitchen at the Australia Hotel, and. Um, back in the days before gloves, and um, lost a Band-Aid while she was tossing the salad and never just couldn't find it and knew it was at the bottom of one of these huge mixed salads they were putting out of the buffet. (laughs) Anyway, don't even want to think about that in these times of sterilising and sanitising. So, Corrie, it's back. How did Friday unfold for you? Because the ramifications, obviously, for someone running a small business are a lot bigger than um, someone reporting on football.
0: Oh, look, Caro, and also I have to say too that um, with regard to small businesses and retail, uh, our, our pain and anguish has been nothing compared to people connected with particularly the Valentine's Day weekend and the Lunar, the Chinese New Year weekend. All of the restaurants, the cafes have closed, the florists who would already placed their orders with growers. Um, wedding planners, wedding events, uh, caterers, like our situation is nothing compared to theirs. But I have to tell you that the anxiety level um, went through the roof for a couple of hours there. Well, actually the stress level, just rearranging things and trying to work out what it all meant. Um, I don't know how to express uh, how I feel today on day three of this snap lockdown. Um, it's uh, there's a, it's a bit like the sword of Damocles is hanging over us all, really, Caro, isn't it? We just don't know whether the five days is going to be it or whether, in fact, if there are more cases each day, the government will be extending the lockdown. So I think probably to just be prepared is the best uh, option at the moment. But, yeah,
1: it's been pretty hard. It's quite strange, isn't it? I mean, the short-term nature of it, the fact it was on the eve of a weekend, um, we were having a few people for dinner, obviously that got cancelled, lots of yummy food in my freezer that I'll be eating my way through Um, over the next few days. um, it It was beautiful weather in Melbourne for most of the weekend, and you and I managed to get in a game of Scrabble before we weren't allowed to see each other anymore. Um, I, I just, well, obviously, as you know, I've planned a trip to northern New South Wales um, due this Saturday, very nervous that that's not going to go ahead. We've already had to cancel it twice. Will this be the third time? That will be very disappointing. I just don't know if um, I'm not going to give up on that holiday or not. Um, I, I think there's a huge um, anger among the community about hotel quarantine. I mean, it has clearly been something that just hasn't worked in Victoria. It's been problematic everywhere. And I understand this is a very, very virulent strain of coronavirus, but there has to be a better way than the method of hotel quarantine that has been going ahead, because it. A, it's brutal for people having to go through it, and it continues to create these um, flaws in the system. We know that they're inevitable, but it's just disappointing that Victoria seems to cop the brunt of it more than anywhere else.
0: Well, that's right. Look, the national media again, Caro, is presenting Victoria as the basket case, the unlucky state, the hopeless virus managers. Either we're very unlucky or we are hideously managed. Or somewhere in between certainly the Murdoch media has lost its patience with the Andrews government and its managing of the virus. there's no doubt about that and it is difficult Again, to cu- yep, yep yeah and it's, it's difficult to cut yourself off from the media, partial or impartial, because it's we all want to know what the facts are, what the latest, what the status is and so on. So we are picking up Herald Sun or tuning into morning television or whatever it might be. But I do urge people as I have through this entire year Make sure that you jump on to, uh, if you are, well, clearly you are a podcaster because you listen to us. The coronavirus podcast on the ABC has facts, figures, and specialist and expert interviews. And it doesn't go for very long, but each morning you can tune in, and I think it's really worth, just to get a balance, really worth tuning into that. It's so funny, Caro, isn't it, with this five-day lockdown, just, just the 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 theories that are going around there's the nebulizer theory based on the idea that someone from the hotel using a nebulizer um the aerosols have generated through the room passed into the hotel corridors so on and so forth then there's the uk strain theory are we victims of a weird uk strain and then there's the whole contact tracing systems are we running behind the rest of the country and running behind, in fact, how much virus is out there in the community. It's just my head is exploding with with
1: questions. <laughs> and, and what was the cause? I don't I know. know. No, I, I, I visited my GP last week, Corrie, and he was talking about a recent trip to New South Wales. And I must say, I noticed, I didn't think they're as vigilant as he pointed out, but he did say that, they have a statewide system, all government run, whereas in Victoria there are several different apps for the contract, you know, when you actually sign into a restaurant or, or whenever you go out really into a doctor's surgery. And I thought that was quite interesting, and he wondered why the uniformity in New South Wales made it better. I mean, obviously, the nebulizer story has legs, and it's a pity the poor bloke who had the nebulizer, who clearly didn't deliberately do the wrong thing, is being picked on. It's concerning when you hear that, you know, entire, like an hour and a half block of people at the, um, you know, the market in the city. If anyone has been at the market, at any point on one day over that hour and a half is now getting tested you have to think we're going to get more cases so look it is scary i don't i still don't blame the australian open that doesn't seem to have been the problem here but i do think there has to be a better way to run hotel quarantine. And I keep going back to what the AFL did up in Queensland. I know that's not ideal for everyone, but they've got a similar system at Howard Springs in Darwin, and it just seems so much better if you can put everyone into one area that has an outdoors as well, to shut people inside for two weeks. just seems too unfair.
0: Caro, we have at the very edge of Port Phillip Bay a perfect quarantine station, which if they had taken yours and my advice this time last year and spent a few million on the old quarantine station at Portsea, they could actually probably have created, you know, a really sensible and safe haven for
1: incoming travellers. Oh, who knows how logistically difficult that would have been, but um, there's also a couple of RACV resorts, you know, on either side of the bay. Anyway, we're stuck. Um I guess you know, for me, you know it was quite nice to um spend the weekend with my daughter and um get stuck into some cooking and go on long walks and find myself with nothing really urgent to do. but um I have to say that the novelty is well and truly worn off, and I um seriously hope it's over by Wednesday night. What are you is there anything you didn't mind about the weekend? You spent the whole time on your book website, <laughs> didn't you? Trying to work out how to tell people to, how they could buy books.
0: Well, well. Um, in all seriousness, the lock of the loss of income to our shop and the fact that we employ staff and we have bills to pay um, is uh, probably um, it's it's over it's overriding any warm and fuzzy feeling I might be having or sense of maybe now's a good time to clear out the linen press. I am a bit stuck in um, anxiety inertia. <laughs> but I did have an interesting chat to my daughter-in-law, Lib, yesterday, who is uh, who has just had baby Florence and who has her own business, Project Hutton, which is a um, comms and PR company. And she's certainly hit the ground running again with her business. And she said there's just something rather nice about not feeling guilty because you have nothing really to do. There's not much you can do. And she said not feeling guilty about sitting down with a book. And I thought, yeah, that's probably what we need to hang on to, that feeling of um, particularly on weekends, but never feeling guilty to actually just take time out for a bit in a busy working day, whether it's to read a book or do some gardening or just have some me time. But I thought that was a really good reminder, Caro, that um, at times like this, we we are forced to slow down. Well,
1: wouldn't it be good if we could keep doing that when the year gets back to normal? Look, apart from um, watching the um, train wreck that has been crown over the last few days, there's a few other things we could talk about. But I think we need to... um, revisit our favourite old segment, GLTs. Have you got any GLTs for coping with a snap lockdown?
0: Yeah, Caro, I have. A couple of them relate to food buying and panic supermarket shopping. What I realised on Friday, I had that immediate thing of, is there enough toilet paper in the house? That sort of scenario. But I remembered that um, a couple of weeks ago I had bought some Uh, from from a local kind of food catering company, I'd bought some stuff and stuck it in the freezer. So at least I thought, I have something for tonight and tomorrow night if things are desperate. And I think that's a really good thing mentally to just know at least there's some food in the house. Although of course we can still go to the supermarket with our masks on and our social distancing in place. But there's something about the human spirit, I think, when you're told lockdown, you immediately go, oh, you have a panic about food. So my tip is that at the moment, of course, with all the restaurants and catering companies closed and a lot of them have a bit like you with your chicken um, in in your fridge from the dinner party that didn't happen. All of these catering companies at the moment have all this food and so on. Go and get some stuff from them and stick it in your freezer because there will be a next time. There's no doubt about that. And I just think that um, do I have enough food anxiety is immediately, um, you know, it's, it's immediately resolved. And the other thing I would say too is if you do live alone and a snap lockdown is called, I would suggest that people immediately get on the phone or texting, to organize to walk with a friend or to meet a friend at a takeaway cafe to pick up your coffees or organize a Zoom drinks. Know that there's something in the next five days that will connect you with other
1: people. Your suggestions are similar to mine. I I was support your favorite local restaurant because they would have stocked up for the weekend and have a lot of food that they need to um, offload. So um, it's only, well, we're talking on Monday. So um, it's not too late to go and order a beautiful take home meal from your local restaurant, get out of bed and go for a walk, treat it like New Year's I reckon Corrie and make one resolution for the rest of, if not the whole year, at very least the rest of February, because you've got time to actually think about that and revisit New Year all over again. I agree you need to make a COVID call, um, not even necessarily to meet someone for a walk, but just call someone and see how they're going. And pick a cupboard and clean it out. I don't know about you, but I seem to have um, I seem to be back where I was um, after the last lockdown with my linen cupboard and my pantry. That's a pretty good tip. If I have some time, I,
0: I will do that if I'm not pulling my hair out um, in the meantime. Another thing too, Caro, about a good tip is, um, and I said this to one of the kids on the weekend when they were really concerned about would we go beyond the five days, And and listen, let's face it, on Monday as we record this, there's a very good chance we could. But my advice to them was a problem is not a problem until it's a problem. So just park that thought for a moment um, because anxiety and mental health will go through the roof if we start worrying. A a friend of mine said on the phone on the weekend, what if this keeps happening all year on off on off lockdowns? I just said, look, let's not worry about that until we're faced with it because we'll all become so anxious.
1: Yes, as Lee Matthews said to the Brisbane Lions back in, um, I think it was 2000 and, oh, I think it was 2001, learn to live in the moment. Don't even think about the future. I mean, for me, the thought, you know, I was so looking forward to going, I mean, it sounds a bit selfish, but heading to the MCG on March the 18th to actually watch a game with my football club involved. I just keep thinking, will it happen? Don't worry about it. It might it might not. Now, Corrie, um, last question um, before we get on to, well, we're not going to talk about, well, we will mention our favourite summer cocktail because I don't know about you and hello, Tony, from Prince Wine Store. Um, I must say um, the Negroni came back into my life over the weekend.
0: <laughs> I think that's your lockdown drink, Caro.
1: I think it is too. I think it is too. And um, Campari returned to the cocktail cabinet. But we're going to talk to um, Tony next week. We're going to find we're going to get Tony on at some point very, very soon and discuss um, Melbourne's greatest wine. Um, and if you want to um, find where to buy the greatest wine in the world, certainly coming into Melbourne, it's princewinestore.com.au. One last question before Crush of the Week, though, Corrie. Should we cut back on numbers of international arrivals? Absolutely yes. How do you um, delineate? Do you just say only the the most um, the most pressing of cases for humane reasons?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I I think so, and that's that's difficult. How on earth? How on earth? And who is to be the judge and arbiter of that? How on earth do we decide this? But uh, until hotels are. Uh, until we have everybody who works in a hotel, a quarantine hotel wearing all of the appropriate gear and not just a, a pharmaceutical face mask, as I saw the other night when I walked past one of the quarantine hotels in the CBD and two people outside just had the pale blue mask that you buy from the pharmacy, until everybody in those hotels are wearing all of the appropriate head to toe gear, until the um, the hotels themselves and their air conditioning systems are fully verified and given the big tick that they're appropriate. Until all of this these sort of things happen, I think we have to be really vigilant about who is coming into the country, how we're looking after them. And... Um, uh, so, for example, Kara, a couple of friends had to... They came out for a family wedding from Singapore, so they were in a hotel for two weeks in the city, and they were particularly concerned about knock on the door and um, opening the door to receive their meal package. People walking past the corridor as they were as they were opening their door. There's a lot of that happening. I just think there has to be absolute vigilance on every single floor of these hotels. I don't know how you do it. I don't know the expense of it, but um, it really it, it really is a problem here in Victoria. Why is it that Sydney and New South Wales can do hotel quarantine better than us?
1: I don't know. I don't know how... Well, well, we do know that this stuff up occurred at the Holiday Inn, but um, I'm not exactly sure... Whether this virulent strain was uncontrollable, I I just don't know, Corrie, but I don't know about cutting back international arrivals. And I'm not just saying that because I've got a child overseas who might want to come home or need to come home at some point. But um, I do think that it probably all those things have been done. All the hotels were cleared. They were meant to be, you know, world's best practice. Ditto with the people working at the hotel. So I'm not sure how you absolutely ensure that there is no human error, but I'm just not sure about cutting back numbers. Anyway, that'll be discussed for a long time to come. But for Red Energy, Corrie, 100% Australia, electricity and gas, you have a crush.
0: I do. Hello, Red Energy, and thanks again for supporting Don't Shoot the Messenger. My crush, Caro, is all Victorian families with young children And in particular, those parents who once again are having to juggle not only the demands of busy kids and homeschooling, but if they're working from home and they have their own jobs and have their own anxieties about finances, mortgage payments, community health, all that sort of stuff, I take my hat off to you, to all Victorian families with young kids. I know there are lots of people who are suffering during this particular lockdown, and I don't mean to uh, diminish any of their causes. But having spoken to um, both the family in Ballarat, and of course Will and Lib, who in Brunswick with their little baby, and watching how everybody's adapting and putting us, you know, trying to cope, Francesca's there with three under four. She and Charlie are doing a terrific job, and. They're just examples of thousands of parents who have just, to use that hackneyed word, Caro, pivoted back into the homeschooling back into making children feel safe and secure. I really take my hat off to all of you. Um, lots of Instagramming over the weekend, and I observed some of these young families just trying to have fun and keep positive. It's a really tough gig. <laughs> it's, it's, t- it's tough enough, Carol, for you and I working from home, but we don't have little ones under our feet. Um, very demanding. So keep it up, guys, thinking of you.
1: A far-reaching crush from Corrie for Crush of the Week, thanks to Red Energy, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas. Now, we're going to move on to BSF. Corrie, we've both been reading Maggie O'Farrell, and she is going to be our book component for this week. This is the author of Hamnet, which um, did so brilliantly. Well, it should have have done even better in awards last year, but... um, we've gone over her backlist and um, i've completed instructions for a heatwave which i absolutely loved and i think you've read that too
0: yeah i've read that too caro and then a couple of weeks ago i wrote i read um, this must be the place which i've got a copy here which i must give you next time i see you hopefully that'll be quite soon but this yes, one was yes thank you. you i'll <laughs> take that thank you yeah was written in 2016, and I think instructions for a heatwave was a couple of years before that. But um, gosh, there's there, there's the talents of Maggie O'Farrell are many, and she's obviously a beautiful writer, and I think she does dialogue and conversations particularly well. But Cara, her great strength must be her insight into family life, don't you think? The way she she um, particularly in This Must Be The Place. It's a beautiful novel about loss and losing your way in relationships and hopefully finding yourself again. And Instructions for a Heat Wave is also about a family in crisis, as was Hamnet, um, as you mentioned, her, her bestseller from last yep. year. She's, she's just, she just captures family life so well, don't you think?
1: The opening chapter of Instructions for a Heat Wave, the story is carrying on during the most horrendous heat wave. I think London, and I think it actually did happen. An elderly couple, um, the children have left home and boy, oh boy, don't those children have some issues. They all come back in their various ways. When the husband goes out to buy a paper one morning and he's recently retired and he never comes home. And it turns out he's cleared money out of their bank account and there is absolutely no explanation in the minds of the children as to where he could have gone. There, there's a lot of Catholicism in this book um, because um, the, main char- the main character is Irish, isn't she? Um, the mother in the story. One daughter is um, gone to live in New York. She's sort of the black sheep of the family. The son has some incredibly horrendous issues going on in his marriage. And the other daughter, the beautiful one, is embroiled in a, a dreadful and I think toxic relationship it doesn't all resolve itself. It's not completely neat, but it does get resolved, and it, it, it ends up on this little island somewhere off the coast of actual island, the country, and it's a beautiful story, Corrie. Instructions for a heatwave, I would highly recommend it by Maggie O'Farrell.
0: Yeah, and I, I agree, Caro, and you just reminded me talking about that um, the, the, the island that they um, the family retires to at the end of this book. Um Maggie O'Farrell was born in um, she was born in Ireland, and her family moved around when she was a younger girl. They moved to Wales and Scotland and so on. and Maggie now lives in Edinburgh with her husband and her children. But she has uh, I think like Colin toybean actually, this extraordinary memory of Ireland. Its beauty and landscapes, its seaside, its people, their idiosyncrasies, the language. And these these come through to the fore in her novels. Um, obviously, not Hamlet, because that was around the world of William Shakespeare, but certainly in the two books that you and I have discussed today. Um, I mean, this must be the place is the wonderful story of um, one of the biggest film stars in the world who uh, for a variety of reasons decides to do a Greta Garbo and she vanishes without a trace and it turns out that she is living in a former hunting lodge in Ireland with a new American husband and two children but it's how their life together and their privacy unravels. It's so beautiful. But the way Maggie captures the Irish landscape I just think is is so uh, evocative and clever. And I tell you what, if we can't travel at the moment <laughs> and, and we can't get to Ireland, um, there's nothing quite like reading a couple of Maggie O'Farrell's books to get you in the mood.
1: <laughs> I know. Her family's secrets are, oh, they're showstoppers. Um, before we move on to screen, I just want to thank Joyce Stapleton who got in touch and went to see a promising young woman. Um, so, thank you for taking my advice, Joy. As I said, according to Joy, um the film was horrifying, a psychological thriller, but with a lot of disturbing social and moral consequences. Joy had trouble sleeping afterwards, and I think you went and saw it too, Cory, didn't you?
0: Carol, that was I was supposed to be doing that uh, tomorrow night. So, yet again, another thing cancelled.
1: Oh, another cancellation. We can watch telly.
0: (laughs) Caro, we're back in the little room again, uh, and I know that you have seen a couple of movies that you wanted to talk about this week, but we decided, Potties, because everybody is stuck at home at the moment, that we would turn to Netflix and so on for our review this week. And this one is actually on SBS On Demand, or it may be Stan, but um, it was certainly on SBS a couple of years ago. It is the 2018 six-part series called The Little Drummer Girl, based, of course, on the best-selling John le Carré novel, Wow, this is an amazing series. I remember reading The Little Drummer Girl. I had forgotten when John le Carré died, I had forgotten that I had read this book. And as soon as the story unfolds, I realised, you know, yes, I had. It It starts with a bomb going off, 1979, Germany. A bomb goes off in the diplomatic quarter of, I think, the city from memory is Bonn, And um, it's an attack on uh, an Israeli um, uh, diplomat's home. And it turns out that the bomb was planted by someone working with uh, an elusive Palestinian called Khalil. And the story is about the mission by Israeli intelligence to take Khalil out uh, and and seek revenge via his younger brother, Salim. And what the Israeli uh, intelligence officers do is uh, second um, or groom, I suppose, a young English actress called Charlie into the world of espionage. Martin Martin Kurtz is the main Israeli um, overseer, if you like, of this operation, played brilliantly by Michael Shannon. And then the spy who is uh, seconded to lure Charlie into this, into this whole network and set up this whole story in order to catch, capture Carlyle, is played by Alexander Skarsgag, who I, I think, was he, um, was he in that, uh, oh, you know, with um, Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon? It's gone out of my head.
1: Yes, he was. Big Little Lies and yes. um, the son of the Scad, who was in Mamma Mia, <laughs> who I just absolutely love, the older actor. But he was. and And Charlie's played by that wonderful actress who was Amy in the most recent production of Little Women.
0: Yes, Florence Pugh. So, Caro, Florence Pugh. What a what a talent she is. She was, in fact, in two thousand and eighteen nominated for a BAFTA award as uh, the Rising Star award as a result of her work on this really fabulous production of the Little Drummer Girl. Um, and uh, she. Uh, can I just tell foodies that Florence Pugh's Instagram account, which I now follow, she's a mad cook. She's really a terrific cook and she loves cooking. And, of course, England at the moment is in lockdown. And so over the last few weeks, Florence has been posting some of her recipes and so on. So that's that's um, another little GLT there. But, yeah, I thought this was a terrific series. And you watched it also. What did you think?
1: I watched it over summer at your recommendation, and I also really enjoyed it. Brendan really enjoyed it. Just a great story. John, John Le Carre is just a wonderful author, God rest his soul, and and, um these um I remember there was a there's an earlier series of the little drummer girl that was also terrific and I'm, I thought I might go back and watch that again but no I highly recommend it um, before we leave um TV. Um, Anna from the Op Shop has watched News of the World on Netflix, which is the new Tom Hanks movie, and highly recommends it. And Silent Witness, the new series, began on Sunday night on the ABC, and it's fantastic.
0: Oh, good to know. And hey, Carol, you know what I ha- did start watching last night uh, as a result of your recommendation? And I think I'm probably the last per- person on the planet to see this. Call my agent.
1: Oh, Corrie, you've got weeks of happy viewing ahead. I finally finished it last week. It is hysterical. There are some plot plot moves that you just cannot believe that they've happened, but the French talent agency set in Paris. Every French film star, apart from Gerard P- Depardieu, I reckon appears in it at some point. It is absolutely wonderful, from Beatrice Dahl to Jean Garbon. Oh, Juliette Benoche comes in There is So it is just quite extraordinary the actors who have agreed to take part in this. Quite incredible and a great, very, very funny. And they're all very, very dramatic. A group of people who work in this agency whose job is completely their lives. They are flawed in every single way, but they are absolutely brilliant.
0: I just, um, I just love the first couple of episodes when they're trying to navigate two divas of the screen, who it turns out have had for years a hideous rivalry and how how things unfold in their movie career together was hilarious. It's smart. It is one of those movies with subtitles, so you have to stay awake and if you leave the room to make a cup of tea, you've got to put it on pause. But I thought it was smart and fabulous. Now, Caro, you have a recipe. I am dying
1: to hear how the potato dish unfolded the other night. Yes, Corrie, this one is an absolute winner. I won't bore you with the entire process. It's smashed potatoes with a twist, uh, courtesy of the Bon Appetit website, which my daughter Clem just adores and subscribes to. She has done this many times. I did it on the weekend for Brendan. They are absolutely beautiful. New potatoes, not big ones. Don't skin them. Just boil them up, lightly smash them, put them in a very, very hot oven with oil, roast them serve them on a bed of either sour cream that's what the recipe says yogurt works just as well smeared along a big platter they are topped with a mixture heated up on the stove of roasted walnuts golden raisins there's some anchovies in there lots of herbs go on top at the end the recipe will be on our show notes Corrie it is absolutely delicious
0: that sounds absolutely scrummy and um I think Clem has mentioned before this bon appetit, isn't it? It sounds like a really good um, thing to subscribe yep. to.
1: We get the magazine actually delivered in hard copy, and it's brilliant. But um, these potatoes, as I said, the recipe will be on the show notes. Our friend Mary, who doesn't even like potatoes, I cooked these for her last week, and she raved. Now, um, before we move on to six quick questions for Red Energy, and that was BSF for Red Energy, call 131-806 for Real Aussie Energy, Melbourne based team, or their Melbourne based team, I should say, will help you out. Corrie, I'm grumpy, and we've been talking about screen. Corrie, I'm just rethinking my Foxtel subscription. What are we looking at? Something like, something between 70 a 90 $100 a month. I'm not sure exactly what it is. For a KO subscription, you're going to be paying 25% of that and all you're missing out on is BBC first. Now, if I go on to KO, I get the footy, I get the AFL, I get the AFLW, Brendan gets his golf. The only thing I don't get is is BBC First, which I absolutely love. But I think I'm going to have to give it up because it is just ridiculously expensive. That's like giving up tea for a month. Well, not when you've got great shows on the ABC, when you've also got SBS, all the SBS shows, we seem to have Stan, we seem to have Prime and Netflix. I I just don't know how Foxtel is staying in business when they're charging that much money, when people who get it for the sport are moving to KO. And when I realised how much I was paying, I thought... And there hasn't actually been much good and new in terms of BBC First for quite a long time. I mean, you can find Call the Midwife Elsewhere, surely... I know this is like a real first-world problem, and I'm sorry, but I just think it's time to move on.
0: Look, I do agree with you that the costs are becoming prohibitive for the value that you get, and also I don't know about you, but I now seem to subscribe to quite a few things, and it does mount up if you include all of the apps on your phone and, you know, different Apple softwares and and things
1: on television and Netflix. And it costs a
0: lot for us to stay happy, doesn't it, (laughs)
1: Well, exactly. We're all very spoiled. But I just think um, 70 or 80 bucks to watch the footy when you can get the KO app is just, um, I think it's time to say goodbye to Foxtel. Anyway, it's time for six quick questions for Red Energy. Corrie, do you want to kick it off?
0: I would love to kick it off. I am dying to find out your answer to this one. What is more difficult, Feb Fast or Dry July?
1: (laughs) Well, nothing at the moment because I'm not doing it. But having done both, no, I always thought that um, Dry July would be harder, A, because there's three extra days or two extra days depending on the year in the month. And, you know, winter is time when, you know, you like to snuggle up by the fire with a nice glass of Pinot. But um, I think FebFast is harder because there's more fun things on and there's something about sitting outside on the lovely warm summer nights, and we have had a few of them, not as many as normal, and having a glass of wine or a glass of champagne. So I would say FebFast is harder, Corrie. Now, to you, what was the key moment for you in the second impeachment hearing, which has only just been completed, of Donald Trump?
0: Uh, it was Mitch McConnell's speech on the final day. Caro, having not having voted not to impeach the former president, the McConnell then presented what was probably a pretty powerful speech uh, on paper, but presented this speech on how Donald Trump had been responsible for the storming of the Capitol building on January sixth through the rhetoric and the language and the call to arms that he employed. And honestly, Carol, it was just one of the most extraordinary flip-flops I've ever witnessed in politics. And such a blatant attempt to try and have it both ways, to stay safe with the Trump base, but then also to somehow send a strong message to historians, I guess, um, that you did not approve of the president's actions. And of course, if Mitch McConnell was hoping that Donald Trump would disappear, well, He's got another thing coming because only this morning Donald Trump's all over the place saying that he will be heavily involved in politics, certainly in the next couple of years as we head to the 2022 midterm elections. God help us all, is what I can
1: say. Very strange country, America. Oh, my God, and as they so say, tough. if you sit on the fence, Corrie, you get splinters.
0: <laughs> well,. Well, Mitch McConnell's bottom must have quite a few of them, Carol. Uh What's the nicest gesture you've
1: witnessed this week? Well, there's a couple. Um, obviously, there's been a few weddings that either got cancelled or moved. Um, one wedding in um, your favourite area, Port Ferry, I think was brought forward today, and everybody pivoted and the wedding was great. Another wedding had to be cancelled and the couple, having already paid for all of the flowers, sent everybody who was invited to the wedding. Um, I heard this story from my friend Katie, a bouquet of beautiful roses. I thought that was lovely. Um, number three, walking past a building site the other day and because this building site is going to be going on for some time, they've put up this planter box of herbs, inviting everybody to pick them, help themselves, and below the planter box is a tap and a bowl for you to give water to your dog. I thought that was a really good, smart idea. <laughs> that, that's a lovely idea. Just don't no, get So the you're walking past, board, you go, oh, get that get bloody building back. site, look, it's still there. Oh, but I can give my dog some water and I can pick some mint. I thought that was a very good idea.
0: (laughs) That is a very cute idea.
1: Over to you. Speaking of cute, what's the cutest household item you've seen this week?
0: Oh, Caro, it it actually was something I witnessed at your house as we played Scrabble the other day Um, pre-lockdown. I had never seen this before. You had a very nice tablecloth on the table which had a little graphic and it said... A simple girl's guide to washing up. Oh, sorry, a single, sorry, not simple, a single oh, girl's yeah. <laughs> guide to washing up. I can't read my own shorthand here. And then it said order of precedence for washing up one, or first, the glasses, second, silver, third, china, fourth, saucepans,
1: fifth, the frying pan, and then sixth, the ashtrays. Wow, that dates it. Are- <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it, it, it's dated in every way. In fact, it's my, mo- my mother gave it to me, my mother Julia, who is a good friend of this podcast. It was actually, I think it's four tea towels, and she sewed them up and turned them into a tablecloth. It's the best tablecloth, I agree. And it's a very nice mixture of um, aquas and blues and greens. But well, isn't it that's hysterical? That's I mean, that was what you know, they used to do when they had dinner parties.
0: Well, such a good talking point, too, because there we were saying ashtrays. Now, that's a thing of the past. And then your silver goes in before the china and after the glasses. Well, I mean, I don't have any silverware
1: here, but, um, but it just struck me as such a... But the a glasses have to be first because, you know, the, the waters are cleanest. oh, no, completely hysterical and... Um, um, a real relic of the past and, yes, always a talking point when I when I bring it out. It was very nice of Mum to give it to me.
0: Cara, my next question is, uh, it, it does
1: perplex me, what's the point of Valentine's Day? Oh, well, young romantics will think we're a pair of old cynics, Corrie, but again, it's like many other days on the calendar. It never used to be such a thing, did it? It was an English... St Valentine originated in Great Britain. Um, It's always been very big in America. It's only really become massive in Australia over the last 10 years. And I, re- I realized this one day when we were trying to get a restaurant booking for the two of us and we couldn't work out why everything was booked out. Guess what? It was Valentine's Day. Look, it's lovely. I love the idea of the whole idea originally was an anonymous Valentine, wasn't it? You were, you received it from someone who didn't want you to know who they were, but, but that they loved you. My husband in the early years of our marriage did used to put a, um, a message in the paper, which was very cute, and he signed it Hop Along. I think I've told this story on the podcast before. But like many other days that have become commercialized, it does get a little bit perplexing. Although, as you said at the start of the podcast, you really felt for all the florists around Victoria over the weekend who had all those flowers. I mean, it's it's not like items like books. As, as tough as it's going to be for you, hopefully you'll sell them anyway or sell them later. Flowers have a use-by date, and, um, yeah, it was very tough. But, no, not my favourite day. Then again, not my worst day. Corrie. What is this week's Did You Know Scientific Fact?
0: Carol, I'm not sure that this is a new fact, but it was new to me. Um, I was reading uh, a copy of the Spectator magazine and I was reading Laurie Graham, the writer's, um, the, the author. She's written a little column in this about the benefits of cold showers. And I didn't know this, but a study in the Netherlands recently found that participants who adopt a cold shower habit for just three weeks, they take fewer sick days off from work. And it's not that they are not catching colds or coming down with ailments, but that they didn't take time off, they powered through. And there is evidence that having a cold shower or a cold bath every day um, for at least three weeks makes you feel energized. um, And it's a great, uh, (laughs) Laurie Graham says here, People are proud of having exercised self-discipline
1: and facing one's fears. So I thought that was quite interesting. Heavens, Corrie, I could have told you that. Well, I just was interested to
0: see that they, they, it's not that they're less sick, but it's that they've become more resilient. Uh, You know, and and if they've got a cough and a cold, they go, soldier on. Well, we shouldn't be doing that these days anyway, going to work if you don't feel well. But this is, I guess, a a pre-coronavirus study. But I thought, given that Rose is our Netherlands correspondent, maybe she could look into this a bit further for us. <laughs>
1: the, the country that brought you the bugaboo, a, a new apparatus I'm learning all about. No, look, that's very interesting, Corrie. Thank you for that tip. I do love a cold shower occasionally, and it certainly is good to get out of your comfort zone. On that note, it's time to say goodbye. All the best to everybody who is at home in this um, very Um, well, frustrating, challenging lockdown, which who knows, wouldn't it be wonderful if it was all over by Wednesday night? Please tune in next week. We have a very special guest. Heather Hewitt, the host of Backroads, the AB, wonderful ABC program. Heather talks to us about the challenges of making backroads during a pandemic. It's going to be wonderful to talk to her also um, about some of her political thoughts, Corrie. Thank you to our podcast supporter, Red Energy, as we've said, 100% Australian electricity and gas, and Prince Wine Store, bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world. You can connect with us via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, and if you want to get our show notes delivered straight to your inbox via our weekly edm hit the sign up button on facebook or send miss jane an email and we'll subscribe for you email feedback at don't shoot and corrie as we are locked down together or separately what do we say
0: don't shoot the messenger Carol. good luck everyone Thanks for listening to the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast. And thanks, of course, to our sponsors, Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for Real Aussie Energy and Prince Wine Store, bringing Melbournians the greatest wine in the world and delivering Australia-wide. Visit princewinestore.com.au.